Hi everybody, my name's Dave. Um, I'm from Life Church in Southampton. Um, I've been uh, involved in student work in a, a bunch of different ways that I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but now you've all told us um, what ways you'll engage with student work. Before we move on, uh, let me just tell you who else is in the room. So, um, about 63% of the room uh, send young people off to university. About 44% of the room, uh, we have university students with us during university holidays. 69% of the room, um, university students join the university term time, so you're in a university city of some kind or another. Um, we have a university near our church, but no students come to our church. It's about 13% of the room. So there's a, a few of those in here, which is uh, a really... Um, I'm very sympathetic with that for a reason I'll get to in a minute. Um, and 6%, we don't have a university near our church, and our young people don't tend to go to university. Um, so... Um, keep Slido open though, um, uh, I want you to now answer a question personally to you, when did you graduate from university? Um, so uh, before we, um, well, and while you're all filling that in, let me tell you a little bit about me. So um, I am an elder at Life Church in Southampton, I've been involved in student ministry in one way or another for about 15 years now, a um, bunch of different capacities in a bunch of different cities in a bu bunch of different contexts. Um, I've led large-scale um, student work, so I've led a student work that had about 500 students in it for a while. Um, I've also led very small student works, and in fact, at, at the moment, mostly what I'm doing, at, um, most of the student stuff I'm involved in at Life Church in Southampton is actually kind of restarting a student work. We um, have had very few students, kind of down to the single digits of students with us, um, just, just pre-pandemic. And so my kind of student hat on there is about kind of restarting and re-engaging a student work, actually getting us on mission to students where we hadn't been for a, a little while. Um, I can talk a little bit about why that happened, how that happened, and some of the kind of lessons there are of learning those trends with us. Um, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get into the meat of things. Heavenly Father, we uh, long that students would uh, meet the living Lord Jesus. There are thousands and thousands of thousands of students uh, near our churches and across this land who are lost without you, who are, who are in desperate need of the gospel, and we long that they would know and love Jesus and find life and light and goodness in him. And so, God, I pray that these uh, few minutes we have today thinking about this would help that aim come to pass. These would be words shared, thoughts exchanged, a, a sharpening of one another that would bring about a great revival amongst students across the UK and, and the churches that we represent in our part here uh, growing in great lengths to be on mission to students. Amen. Um, in order to, um, in order to uh, know about how we're going to reach students well and be on mission to students... Um, what we're going to try and do over the course of the next hour or so is three things. We're going to think about understanding the university experience, um, what actually kind of is university like. Um, we're going to think about assessing the state of student work, uh, particularly your student works or the student works in the city that you are, uh, city or town that you're here from. And then we're going to try and think about resolving some of the challenges of student work. If you read the blurb, um, for this seminar. I'm kind of upfront about that student work has some particular challenges to it. Student work isn't always perfect and there are challenges to that. And so if you have kind of particular problems in mind about student work that you want to chat about, think about uh, this afternoon, um, then do whack the questions in the slide out. We'll get to them at the end and we'll hopefully have a good time addressing some of those. Um, in terms of understanding the university experience, 
Um, I'm going to think about understanding the university experience through a few different metrics. Basically, what I want to do is I want to persuade you that you know less um, about being a student than you might think. Um, so, 40% um, of the room graduated from university in the last three years. 10% um, of the room graduated four to five years ago. 20% uh, of the room graduated between uh, 6 and 15 years ago. And over 25% uh, of the room, so a fairly significant chunk of the room, um, graduated over 16, years, over 16 years ago, and then 5% of the room never went to university. Uh, why does that matter? Well, it matters because um, you probably assume you know more about going to university than you think. And those thresholds of time changing are actually really substantial thresholds of where, the way that university life changes. So um, if you haven't yet graduated, um, then you are probably going to have a, a university experience, particularly if you're not graduating next year, if you're graduating the year after. You're probably going to have a markedly different university experience than others because you will be one of the first generations to have had an entire university experience that is post-COVID. If you graduated in the last three years, so 2022 to 2020, you are the only generation of students who will have had the initial experience of a COVID university education and all the things that came with that, blended learning experiences, combinations of um, work, uh, le learning from home, learning from university. That is a very different university experience, even from people who are going to graduate in a year's time. And that makes you even though you're the group of people probably in the room who should be most expert at university, in some ways, foreigners working amongst students because your university experience is going to be markedly different from theirs. If you graduated between 6 and 15 years ago, um, you are the first group of the first generation of Gen Zers to go to university, which is a distinctly different university experience and cultural experience to the one prior to that. Um, if you... Uh, if you graduated over 16 years ago, um, so that would take you back to graduating in 2006. Well, September 2006 was when, was when Facebook became universally available to everybody. And so if you graduated before 2006, you were part of the generation of students who had, an, had the opportunity to graduate without social media being part of your university experience, even though it might have been a little bit part of your university experience at the end. If you graduated any time after 2006, Social media would have been an ingrained part of your university experience. Look, what is the point of all this? Um, what it goes to show us is that the time that you went to university changes your university experience, and it changes very, very quickly. And so even if you, you might feel like, oh, what we need to do to understand university students is have recent graduates on our student team. In, that is not enough to understand the university experience at the moment because the university experience changes so quickly. And there are going to be students who are about to graduate through un to university or about to go to university who will have experienced university in a, an entirely post-COVID reality, which is, an which is so very different from experiencing university in a COVID reality, blended learning, all the kind of stuff that, that particularly you guys who are in that group had to endure. Um, second framework about understanding the university experience is about who is at university with you really affects what your university is like. Um, so your socio-economic background of the university that you're at, nationalities, the different age ranges at your university, the mode of study, 
part-time, full-time, that kind of thing at university, the different ethnicities that you might find at your university, academic ability and the route to university and its effect on student psychology, those things really affect university as along with and perhaps most significantly how that play, all of those factors play into your prior contact with Christianity. So there was a piece of research done by um, a research company called Comres. They did a faithism study. This is based in 2018, so it's not the most up-to-date data. There's quite a lot of data I'm going to show you today based from 2018. Um, there's a reason for that. I'll get to it in a while. Um, this shows uh, church attendance um, across different socioeconomic backgrounds. So um, church attendance, the different options, whether you went once a week um, or more regularly every month, every two to three months, that's down the left-hand side. Then you have the whole population of the UK is the first column. Then 18 to 24s specifically within that. And then um, it's going kind of across socioeconomic backgrounds from uh, my right to my left, your left to your right. Uh, across there. I won't go into detail about these, but we can chat about them a little bit. But take a moment, chat to the person next to you or the people next to you. Does anything stand out particularly from that? Any kind of particular trends that you find surprising, shocking? Um, yeah, two uh, you've got like 40 seconds to talk about that, so talk fast. Go. <laughs> exactly. Okay, give me a shout. What are some of the things that stand out to people from there? Somebody confident, say something. Otherwise, I'm going to pick on somebody, and I know very few names in the room, so you know you're going to get picked if you think I know your name. Shocking how high people never attend. Yeah, yeah. Like the, there's a lot of people on that bottom row, aren't there? There's a lot of unreached people group in the UK. I was just saying that on, on the top row, where it's all like sixes, sevens, apart from like the one, which is ten, and so I guess that's upper middle. And middle class. Yeah. So there's quite a substantial amount from that class category who go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that the A B compared to D E on the attend once a week or more, that effectively means that if you are upper middle class or middle class, compared to somebody who is in the D or E categories, working class or casual working slash non working, you're twice as likely to be a regular church attender. 10% to 5%. But those absolute numbers are also wildly going to be wildly different because that adds up to 23% of the UK population and this adds up to 27% of the UK population, which I know like 4% might not sound like a lot, but it's actually going to be quite a lot of people, particularly when you consider that university is going to be skewed across those demographics. Anything else that st stands out to people? How do people normally, in church circles, talking about the state of evangelicalism, the state of church, how do people normally talk about 18 to 24-year-olds? Yeah. Do people generally think, if, if I were to say 18 to 24-year-olds, a lost generation, or the generation in which great revival is currently breaking out, what would be a more familiar language? Lost. But actually, compared to the UK average, there's across most backgrounds, it, there's more... It, it, everything except the attending every month. Um, there's more 18 to 24 year olds going to church than there are the national average. The lost generation chat isn't the whole picture. If you want to chat more about that, we can dig into that a little bit if you like to. Um, it, to, to provide some framework for this, so this isn't university based data, um, but to provide some context for this though, 
The reason why this matters is because everybody, it, well, there's a few reasons why it matters, but one of the reasons is people tend to assume that this, these two groups, or the top three groups maybe, that's everybody who goes to university. That is just not true. That is just not true anymore. So, um, in 2021, uh, uh, just over 270,000 people uh, accepted places at university, um, which was up 7% from the previous year, um, and was a total of 37.9% of the UK population who have just finished school. Well, you, so, th if that means that like, nearly 40% of the UK population who've just finished school... Have, got, have accepted places at university, it means that, well, it's not just the top ones. It's a much broader span of people who go to university than that. And in fact, 23% of people who uh, kind of graduated from sixth four, 23% of 18-year-olds who are from um, what qualifies as disadvantaged, low likelihood to go to university backgrounds, 23% of them went to university in the summer of 2021. That's a year ago. Um, there are 2.6 million people at university in the UK as of last year. That means that it's, it is not just upper middle class and middle class people who go to university anymore, not by a long shot. The background of the people at university changes a great deal. But as that background changes, it's going to change the, de the demographic differences and the Christian experience differences that you see at those universities. Um, yeah, um, any questions on that? Feel free to post them in the... Um, in the Slido, I've posted the last poll on there now, which is um, what are the challenges face? Uh, it's not really a poll in quite the same way. It's not multiple choice. What are the challenges particularly facing your student ministry at the moment? I'll just leave that one up for the rest of the time I'm talking. Feel free to put your questions in there and we'll get along to challenges at the end. Um, uh, what's the next category in which we can understand the university experience? Um, well, actually, no, let's go back a little bit. So, before we go on to the next category of what affects your university experience, let's think a little bit more about how those de demographic things affect us. So, um, uh, two guys called uh, Don Everett and Doug Schapper, or Schapp, I have no idea how to pronounce his name, um, uh, wrote a book called Pathways to Jesus, in which they say that the way in which people become Christians as adults, so not how you become a Christian as a child, but if you're becoming a Christian as an adult, the way in which that happens has never been uh, historically mechanical and like a universal process. But neither is it an entirely random way in which people kind of come to Jesus as adults. There are trends and substantial ones. They did this research to try, to try and figure out what are the kind of commonalities about the pathways in which people find Jesus if, if they're going to become Christians as adults, which in running student ministry that actually reaches unreached students with the gospel, we need to be able to do. We need to reach adults who don't know Jesus and help them to meet Jesus. How, well, they say that there's kind of five stages that people go upon that pathway. The first is that you move from distrust to trust. Somewhere along the line, they learn to trust a Christian or more commonly Christians. Um, when I read that, I immediately thought of my friend Kelsey. Um, I've, been, I've been friends with Kelsey for about two years now. Um, Kelsey is, uh, is gay. She is uh, married to her female partner. Um, I had been friends with her for two years and spent a lot of time with her. Only, only a couple of months ago she knows full well what I do for a living and that I'm a Christian lead a church and all this stuff only a couple of months ago did she very gently let me know that growing up her dad was a Christian minister 
It took her two years to let me know that. Now, I don't know the reason why it would take her two years to let me know that. She'd never given any indication that she had any kind of Christian background before that. But that shows you what it might take some people to move from a place of distrust to trust. Secondly, then they need to go from complacent to curious. They need to move from being disinterested to genuinely being intrigued by the Christian gospel. I was once um, sitting in the, the cafe at Southampton Uni and um, waiting for somebody to arrive for me. And on the table were their flyers for an event that the Christian Union was putting on. And um, the two guys sat on the table next to me and they picked up the, the flyers. And one of the guys was kind of looked at it, read it like twice and had a kind of slight look of disbelief about it. That's a brilliant thing to put on. And in that moment, he'd moved from complacent to curious. He'd seen what, what the uh, kind of CU were doing and how it was marketed. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what kind of thing people should be asking that. Um, then after going from complacent to curious, they need to go from closed to change to, have an, to being open to change. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at university, I, went, uh, I took a friend of mine whose name's Camilla along to Alpha. And after the alpha evening on uh, the resurrection um we were getting in the car to head back to where we um our respective houses and as we were getting into the car camilla said to me the thing is dave i already believed that jesus died and rose from the dead died and he rose from the dead i just don't see what it has to do with me that is that is moving from a base of being closed to actually open to change i want to know what it has to do with me and then fourthly, they need to go from a place of meandering to genuinely seeking. There's a guy in our, um, in our uh, church, uh, life church at the moment, um, a guy called Lawrence, um, who is the flatmate of somebody who's a Christian. He just came along, he got invited along to Alpha a few months ago now. He's stuck around since he's at church every Sunday. And after church Sunday just gone, he um, was asking prayer from one of the other leaders at um, church, saying, I've... I've really got to make a decision about this and I need God's help to help me make the decision about what I really believe about this. That is somebody who's moved from meandering to seeking. He knows he's got to find an answer. And then eventually people cross the threshold of faith and come into the kingdom itself. Well, three questions. If those are the the generalised pathways to Jesus are for adults and don't kind of over-process it as to whether it's always like that, it's kind of I think it's a helpful framework. Let's not treat it as anything more or less than a helpful framework. And given the variation of Christian experience that people have across socioeconomic backgrounds, three questions for us to think about. In which of the five thresholds is, are most of your students given training in evangelism? If you said, do evangelism to one of the students at your church, what do they immediately think of? And which of those five thresholds is it actually helping people move across? In which of the five thresholds are most of your evangelistic events pitched? If you do evangelistic events, which of those thresholds is it helping people to cross? And perhaps most critically, this question, if we're really thinking about being churches that are on mission to students, at which point of the five thresholds does somebody need to have crossed to to legitimately engage with your church? And that's what will distinguish us from being churches who just kind of gather a huddle of kind of pre-made Christians every freshers' week to being ones that actually engage with non-believing students. Um, we'll come back to those questions in a little bit. But let's do some analysis. Now, I'll, uh, I'll confess this from the get-go. Um, not, or, not all of the universities 
um, that you are geographically close to are on this list. Um, and also, again, it's 2018 data, um, which isn't the most up-to-date, um, but is, um, I'll, I'll explain why I've used 2018 data in a minute. If you want to have, if you want to scribble on this, um, then do you want to take one pass it on around there? Take one pass it on. Um, have a look around, see if you see any trends that, relate to, that might relate to the socioeconomic stuff we were just talking about, any trends that might relate to to, um, yeah, to anything else you see, particularly look for differences from one university to the next. If your university that you're thinking about is on there, or you've got kids at the universities that are on there, um, if you're naturally gravitated to those, that's fine. You've got two or three minutes, have a chat, have a think, and then we'll come back to see what we think. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll explain what the line across the top means. That would be helpful, wouldn't I? So, uh, average UCAS entry points is an effective correlation. So, how many UCAS points does an A-level graduate have at going to that university? So, basically, the higher that number is, the more demanding it is academically to get into the university. Um, how many undergraduates are there at the university? Um, percentage, of, uh, percentage of those undergraduates who are full-time students as opposed to being part-time students. Um, percentage of undergraduates who are international students. Um, the number of internationals, the kind of straight up number of internationals who are at the institution. Uh, percentage of undergraduates who are mature students. Percentage of undergraduates who are uh, state educated. Uh, so went to a state school or a grammar school rather than a private school. Um, percentage of undergraduates from low participation postcodes. So the way in which, um, the way in which it's categorised as to if you're um, unlikely to go to university, the postcode that you your home address is from, and whether that is an unusual university, uh, unusual postcode basically for people to go to university en masse from. Um, percentage of undergraduates who are uh, black or minority ethnic, percentage of undergraduates who drop out, the male-female ratio at the university, the first number is male, the second number is uh, female, and they're all scored out of 100. Um, postgraduate to undergraduate ratio, Postgraduates the first number, undergraduates the second. Percentage of undergraduates and postgraduates in university accommodation. There's some wild variation in those numbers. Um, student experience survey results. Uh, that's a, um, yeah, there's a survey, there's a few surveys done every year that kind of give average university student experience. Uh, th that is the one that is in some ways most irrelevant because it's 2018 data. Um, basically all of them have dropped off a cliff through COVID. Um, because most students felt very let down by their universities in some way, shape or form. Um, and then this one also varies wildly, is the number of students' union affili affiliated societies at those universities. So, a couple of minutes, chat to the person next to you. Uh, what do you notice in the data? Don't try and look at all of it. Pick something you find interesting. Have a chat. Okay. Uh, yeah, feedback some stuff. What jumps out at people? One backer, speaker. There's a massive difference. There's a massive difference between the number of uh, student union affili affiliated societies, isn't there, between when you're looking at Southampton versus Bournemouth? Yeah. And thinking about, you know, options for students. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's a yeah, really good point. There's a great example of this in, so, so I work in Southampton. We, are, we get students from both universities. 339 students unions affiliated societies at Southampton and uh, 85 at Solent, and most of those are football teams at Solent. Um, which means that 
If you ask a Southampton student, what are you doing tomorrow? They'll tell you what society they're in tomorrow. I'm in jog sock, or I'm uh, in this sports team, or I'm this, this, uh, this band, or whatever. If you ask a Soviet student, what are you doing tomorrow? They go, ah, oh, just hanging out with my mates. And that really changes the university experience. It also hugely affects how, how hard it is to make and maintain friendships between those two universities. Solent, um, almost everybody's friends do the same course that they do. Because it's very hard to maintain friendships if you're not in the same course as somebody. Southampton, there's absolutely no, very little correlation between that. Um, any other, anything else to jump out to people? It's just like it would be international column. Like I'm from Bristol. I've yep. got two big universities. I don't know what percentage of international students there are. But it isn't really a focus of our student outreach. Right. Like not, obviously not intentionally. Yeah. That's just a gap. It just made me think that there's a big gap in our evangelism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if that's, if so it, like if, you, if that was the case and you were working in Kent and you've got no folk, that's 20% of the student yeah. body who you just like, just ignored kind of by accident not by deliberately yeah anyone else anything else there's a huge difference between male and female ratios yeah yeah, yeah. It's really massive amongst you know all of them yeah um, so let's uh, let's have a look at Winchester as a kind of good example of a couple of things down the bottom um, the male female ratio 33 men to 67 women at Winchester, um, which means if you're a boy, uh, particularly on certain courses in Winchester, you, you feel like you're the only boy, and you might be the only boy, and having any male friends is a very unusual thing to do. That, that then, if you're thinking about the Christian university experience, will probably be even further compounded because most of our churches tend to have a higher ratio of females to males and so they'll be even further compounded you'll have a potentially very female dominated student ministry in somewhere like Winchester the other thing I think st strikes out in in um, look at Winchester and Chichester um, Winchester and Chichester um, let's be honest posh towns like as people assume that about the, both of those places now look at percentage undergraduates from low participation postcodes at both of those institutions 16% and 13.6%. Those are, those are people who would never live in Chichester or Winchester otherwise. Uh, also, you can find yourself going, and gents, I have no idea if you would ever, if you would ever say this, so I'm not, not putting these words in your mouth. But if you, got to, if you were running a student ministry for a few years and you find yourself going, oh, people never stay here after university. It drives us nuts. They never say, we invest, 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 and they never stay here. Well, look, 15% of those people never could stay there. Like, socioeconomically, it would be nigh impossible for them to be able to settle in that city after university. So change the mentality and go, what an incredible opportunity we have to, uh, to reach out to missionally and invest in, in terms of discipleship, people who would never normally be in a city like this one and potentially never normally it, it have much less access to a church with the resources that our church has what a great opportunity we have um, if you want to dig into those numbers a little bit more later we can do a couple more things to understand the university experience before we think about our other um, the other things we're going to look at is um, firstly geography the geography of your university experience will hugely affect your university experience there are essentially three models of university layout the kind of traditional old school campus university 
uh, university like, ha historically had a huge chunk of land, all of the buildings and facilities that the university has since operated out of has always been built on that land. A, a university student will feel like they live on that place. I remember when I, I went to Southampton Uni, um, when I went to uni, I think I had, I had been living in Southampton for about three weeks before I went into Southampton, um, anywhere other than that was actually university land. Um, that experience would be incredibly different if you went to what's uh, the second model of university kind of um, layout, which is called colonisation. As the uni has grown, it's acquired more buildings and become a kind of de facto precinct. So you might find there's like a university quarter. Um, so it's not quite as extreme as the university campus experience, but you like it feels like whenever anything goes for sale around there, the university buy it up. Um, because they can just outbid everybody else who's around. The third model is then dispersion, which is most common amongst most newest, the newest and youngest of universities. Buildings are kind of just all over the place, spread across campuses. Um, that is most extreme um, in terms of the university experience because it tends to lead to a real lack of public spaces at the university, um, a lack of kind of walking corridors. So it's, it's most difficult to know, well, if we want to... If you want to do some first contact evangelism, where are the students going to be? You kind of find yourself going, I don't know. It's like they're all dispersed all over the place. Um, more university students will be living in private halls of accommodation rather than university halls of accommodation if it's a kind of new university with that dispersed model. Um, and as I said before, relating to societies, it generally becomes harder to keep and maintain friends at universities like that. I was at um, the Freshers' Fair for Solent Uni uh, last week as chatting to one of the chaplains um, for Solent Uni. And she was saying, this is the busiest I have seen anywhere at Solent for over four years because the freshers fair was on. And she's like, I feel sorry for these freshers because they don't realize that this won't happen again while they're at uni. We've all, like the Freshers' Fair, and all of these businesses and churches and organisations and charities had kind of descended on the various sports halls at the university and all the Freshers were encouraged to go there and get a load of freebies. And they were like, that's never going to happen again at Solent. And they don't, those Freshers don't know it's never going to happen again at Solent because they're dispersed and they feel a bit homeless in terms of social spaces. Um, that will really affect your outreach, mission and contextualisation um, so this is a personal story. This is the story of Southampton and so the Life Church in Southampton. We, um, like I said, saw pre-pandemic we were down to kind of single digits of students at Life Church in Southampton. Um, we had previously had plenty of students at Life Church in Southampton, um, and we didn't really know why student numbers just over a few years had descended and descended and descended. And the reason was I, I then saw this map and realised. This is a heat map of where university students live in Southampton. Um, in case you're wondering, Southampton Solent is uh, kind of based around this part of the city, and uh, Southampton University is um, is based at the kind of uh, the top of the red, top of the dark red bit, basically. Um, and the two logos are where, at the time, the two sites of Life Church Southampton met. And I just realised, whilst we had always thought. We can invite, students can come to this site. The grey bit in between is Southampton Common. It's a nice, easy thing to walk across. Lots of people walk across it all the time. Lots of people commute across the common. It was actually a way bigger psychological barrier 
to university students than we would have anticipated when we first moved to that site. It was before we had moved to that site, we had lots of students when we, lived, when we were based in the building down here. And so what we did was to try and make most of that is we planted a new site uh, just under 12 months ago now, uh, the one in the middle, trying to get in between. We were there for various reasons, but one of the big reasons we're there is because we want to re-engage with the student population of the city, be on mission to students. And we couldn't do that when we were outside of that context. Um, here's a few cities that we might recognise. So this is, the, this is Winchester and the student population of Winchester. Um, but what do you notice here that's not in a colour? Anyone? The centre. The centre, yep. Anything else stand out to people that's not in a colour? Uh, Winchester's tiny, the one kilometre key down in the right hand side. So uh, at the same time as the dispersion being interesting, in some ways in Winchester it doesn't matter where you live because you can get everywhere from everywhere in Winchester basically. Uh, Winchester, a great example of this is Winchester Vineyard Church. Um, terrible location for students if you looked at it like if you scaled up the size of Winchester but it always has had students going to it because you can get to Winchester, you can get anywhere from anywhere in Winchester. Um, what's next? Uh, Portsmouth? I don't know why it thinks lots of Portsmouth students live in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Anything jump out, Portsmouth crew? Grass Central's got an excellent location. There you go, well done. <laughs> This is Guildford. Is anyone from uh, Guildford here? Kind of. Kind of. Vaguely <laughs> from Guildford. Um, Guildford is interesting. So this, uh, the, the white line going up the middle is um, the train line in Guildford. And if you chat to Guildford students, like, the train line is considered like the really hard thing to cross. Like, um, there's loads of bridges. It's not that hard to cross. But, it's a, <laughs> but, it's a, it's, but it is a psychological barrier within the city. Um, again, though, Guildford actually experiences the same thing to Winchester. Most of Guildford isn't that big. Um, it's pretty easy, kind of small place to get around. Um, Chichester. Anything jump out, Chichester crew? There's not a lot of students. <laughs> There's not a lot of students. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, is it, is it about 5,000 students at yeah, Chichester Uni? Just over four. Yeah. Uh, it's small again as a city yeah. as well. So Location-wise, but there is a. Uh, I think it's a similar thing with the whole train line. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So they go quite far back um, as well into rural areas. So unless they have a car, getting yeah. them from one place to another can be yeah. a bit trickier. And then this is Bournemouth. Bournemouth people. Anything jump out? There is a really noticeable trend amongst Bournemouth students living accommodation. Go somewhere that's close to them, which is hugely impactful between first and the second year. So the freshers all live in halls at university in first year, and then loads of them move down to the city in second year, and all of a sudden they live somewhere where they basically never went before. Um, yeah. I think that's the last one. Is there another? No. Um, so yeah, think about the geography of understanding the university experience. 
um, then there is more to think about in terms of understanding the university experience related to academia, what your course is like, and the kind of levels of your course. I'm not going to go into that now. I can talk to you about it later if you'd like me to. Um, the main thing to say is that just thinking of clever universities and less clever universities is, um, is a really lazy piece of analysis. Um, it's actually way more complicated than that. The differences between university experience based on the kind of subjects you do, the kind of learning models that go with them and that kind of thing, is far more complicated than just, oh, you need to be clever people there and you need to be less clever people here. This is a person who speaks passionately about this. I li like, if you look at the UCAS entry, entry points between Southampton and Southampton Solent University, there you could just assume a lot of things there that are not accurate assumptions. Um, but uh, we're going to move on for the last 15 minutes to thinking about un uh, assessing the state of student work. Um, and here I want to go back to those three questions earlier. Um, if we're thinking about, well, that's a little bit more about what the university experience is like. If we're genuinely thinking that our student work is, needs to be something that's on mission to students, not just a gathering of a handful of Christians every freshers' week, then what do we make of these questions? In which of the five, oh, which of the fine thresholds are most of your students given training evangelism? Which of the five thresholds are most of your evangelistic events picked? And at which of the five thresholds does someone need to have crossed to legitimately engage with your church? Again, twos and threes, chat about those things for a few minutes and then we'll kind of gather back together to hear some thoughts. Okay, great. Um, right, who chatted about um, in which the fine thresholds, five thresholds, are most of your students given training in evangelism? Who chatted about this? Any thoughts, reflections? Okay, I'm going to assume you've got lots to say when I move us down there, so you better answer now. Okay, um, uh, which of the five thresholds are most of your evangelistic events pitched? Okay. Okay. Well, okay, yeah, so one and two, you're saying? Chat to me about like, what kind of events you're thinking about. What I kind of really stuff like you... the classic CU event and the classic student alpha or student outreach event is trying to like address people's questions about Christianity, so moving people from distrust to trust. Right. But I say, we were saying, like, actually, on a more relational level, what I think about students in my church who are like, good at inviting their friends to church, they're probably more at three or four of, like, they think that their friends are maybe open to change, so ready to come to church with them. Okay. But the events that are happening are more than I wanted to. Oh, itself. It should be itself there. I've <laughs> noticed that. This is what happens when you go to the dyslexics seminar. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I, I think I'm... I, my slight pushback might be. Um, so I think like the classic, what my classic CU event, like a maybe a lunch bar with an evangelistic talk, and as certainly like student alpha. I think they are more um, three, four, five events than they are one, two events. Like you need to uh, all it's like whilst um, while some people will come to uh, like a, maybe a, a CU run lunch bar or something like that, off a flyer, or they just want the free meal. Um, it's very difficult to come to Alpha unless you have mates who are Christians who you trust. Yeah. And actually, mates who are Christians who you trust and a degree of in interest in what they believe. Um, so that actually gets further down. Um, any other thoughts? I think, um, certainly, in terms of the way that maybe not so much now, but like certainly in my experience over the years, is that our measures of success of these evangelistic events has been on number five. And it's been more like, who became a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and let's celebrate that, 
rather than um, okay, who who was close to change and is now open to change? Let's celebrate that. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think in my experience, it's been more like okay, most of them have in the in the way that we measure the success of them has been about number five. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the evangelist Michael Green used to talk about um, we need uh, our evangelism needs to have times of sowing and times of reaping. And if you only do one of the two, you shouldn't be surprised if you don't see a lot of fruit. You can reap forever if there's no seed sown. Or if you sow seed forever, that's great, but either nobody's reaping it or somebody else is reaping it. Our evangelism needs to have sowing and reaping that goes to it. Um, and also, if you, only measure, if you only measure by five, so there's an economist who, like, a phrase in economics says, what, what gets measured gets done. So if you measure by five, what it means you'll do is the five stuff. Hmm. And you don't, because you don't celebrate the victories of the ones and twos. Which means event, you, you are built, your student ministry is built on somebody else doing the ones and twos. Somebody else doing all the sewing. Um, and you're just unaware of what's happening. Um, any other, any, well, let's go across to the, the third box then. Because you must have been talking about something. Um, which of the five thresholds does someone need to have to cross? have crossed to legitimately engage with your church? Well, I come with a very, I come from Spain, very different, nothing, like, we have very few, few, few students uh, with us. And um, for us, it's when you trust us, you are more than invited to engage and stay, and we, we're super happy when you're curious. Mm. Like, those two, for us, is a big deal. So as soon as you get curious, we invite you to things and you know to engage with us and get to know us, and then they get to get curious, and then they start to open to change. And but it's a very long process. So for us, it will be from one we invite them to yeah. engage with us. Yeah, that's great. Um, and particularly in a, I guess particularly in the Spanish context, uh, well, I can only really speak for the Spanish students I've engaged with who've come to the UK yeah. to study. Um, because of the uh, the perception of Christianity and the historic Catholic Church, yeah. the issues of trust and distrust are in some ways much more deeply rooted and mm-hmm. more complex than they would be for a, a native British student as well. Yeah. So really important. Great. Anything else? Anything else? Anyone was talking about that they want to chat about before we jump on? Great. We're jumping on. Um, so um, resolving some of the challenges of student work then. So. Um, the, I, I put three challenges that we regularly, people regularly experience in student work in the brief for the seminar. I'm going to talk about those three challenges, and then we'll talk about any questions that came in on the Q&A. Um, so if you want to get in your questions on the, the poll, there's a few on there already, but if you want to get it in, get it in now. The three challenges I talked about on the, um, on the, uh, the blurb for this seminar were churches competing over freshers, uh, students hopping between churches and student groups forming cliques, meaning students graduate having never made friends with somebody who's not a student. I guess my big thesis this afternoon is really related to question one, um, churches competing over freshers. If we are re- genuinely thinking about how we can be at churches that are on mission to students, it puts that issue and that category of question in an, in- an entirely different sphere of operation than if what we do as student ministries is just trying to recruit the handful of students who are already Christians when they came to university in September, every September. Because then those people become a, scarce, a very scarce resource, an increasingly scarce resource, and every time a student moves to another church, then the scarce resource is being lost. 
Whereas if we see students as a mission field, then there are probably more students than you can... Not probably. There are definitely more students than you can begin to deal with in the city, town that you are ministering in. There are more students than you would know what to do with if they all wanted to walk through the doors of your church, to come along to your small groups, to your student groups or whatever. So if that category change we make, it changes our target and we will actually do things differently. That being said, um, and so then I think the, the, then the next level critical thing, and this is particularly if you're, um, if you're here and you're not in student work directly or you have other people who are responsible for student work, but they're responsible to you, really listen up here. Um, how is the performance of your student worker, workers, student volunteers actually assessed? Does it generally tend to be about the number of students in the student ministry or the number of students who are serving in the church? And even if that's not formal, how many times do people who are in student work hear something, like overhear somebody saying, oh, so-and-so's done such a fabulous job of student work because, and some derivative of the number of students who now come to the church or the number of students who now serve, is the reason for which they think fabulous student work now happens. That is something that will always be kind of the current and the trend. What we have to do as leaders is actively push against that trend. We have to actively push to say, actually, we long to see a student work where students are engaged with the gospel who were never engaged before. And we celebrate that every time that happens. Where discipleship and growth of Christian students is seen as actual discipleship and growth, not just serving onto various rotors, where opportunities are made for unbelieving students to engage with the church, and that is celebrated, not just how many students come to the student work is celebrated. If we push against that trend, it will help student workers be liberated from the shackles of, I've just got to get students in, and at freshers, it's a stress between me and the other student workers in the other churches to compete over that scarce resource. Um, Second, uh, second issue though, um, students hopping between churches. Um, uh, it was Donald Rumsfeld, the um, former US Secretary of Defense, who kind of became a bit of a, like, he said this before memes were a meme, but it would have become a meme if he said it during memes, where he said, um, it was, he was talking about military analytics, and he said there are known knowns, there are known unknowns, there are no unknown knowns, and there are unknown unknowns, and the unknown unknowns, they're the ones that really get you. Um, I think within, within any student body, um, and with any student group at a church, there are known knowns. There are students who you might, as a student worker, say, I know that person, and I know where they go to church and where they are regularly. They're close enough to me that I know them. Um, there are known unknowns. People, um, I know, I don't know about them. So that, that I know that they're in the orbit of our student work, but... Um, I don't know them that well. So I know that they're somebody who could disengage from our student work without me really being aware of it. Um, then there are unknown knowns. Those are things I don't know, but somebody does, and they ain't telling me. So that is, there are students who another student or another student worker in your church, they have a relationship with. And actually what's broken down is the information flow from that other student or at that other student worker to you to know where they're at. And there are unknowns unknowns, uh, kind of people who make, who, who would you have thunk? Oh, they, they, they've signed up for our student weekend away? I didn't even know they came here, kind of people. Um, within, there, there will be different students in each of those different boxes all of the time. Um, 
the people, people student hopping, um, students church hopping rather, um, is I think helpfully, resol- helpfully understood better if we know which category different students fit in there. Um, if, you are, if you're involved in a reasonably sized student work, it's never going to be the case that everybody is a known known. And so just give that up. Like, you know that won't be the case. You're not always going to know the knowns. But know that a kind of a broader spectrum, a broader team can understand where people are at. And then at least you know who is engaging and who's responsible for people. Um, uh, lastly, then, student groups forming cliques, meaning students graduate uh, without having made friends with somebody who's not a student here. Um, this is a really common objection. I think particularly um, for, might be a com- people something that other people complain to you about. Uh, they, they moan to you because they think you're a more approachable person than this group of students are. I'm going to whinge at you about what, the fact that students didn't seem to know the other students. What we need, do need to think here is, though, what, why is this an issue? Is it an issue for the reason of discipleship? You think students are being under-discipled because they don't know people of other age groups? Is it an uh, issue of readiness for post-university life because students um, don't uh, n- know people who aren't university students and so they're unready for graduation? Uh, is it an issue um, to do with uh, committing to staying in the local church after university if they've never made friends with people who aren't, aren't students? Are they going to know how to be a, a non-student at university, at church? Um, or is it an indication of service? If, if students only know other students, is it an indicator that they're not really getting involved in serving within the church? Um, I'm not resolving the problem by saying that's what those underlying issues are, but you have to solve what is the underlying issue that is irking us if your students are forming a clique, and then solve the underlying issue. Don't just go, students need to be in less of a clique. Either you need to work about this, or the issues of serving, or the issues of discipleship, or issues of being, getting ready for graduation. Uh, we are at the end of our time, so let me pray for us. If you've asked a question and I haven't answered it, then do come and chat to me about it afterwards, um, and eventually we'll be run out of the room. But let me pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we long for students to come to know you. And Lord, we, our hearts break that there are so many thousands of students in this country right now who don't know their right hand from their left, who are lost and far from you. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would do a great work in us to make us churches who reach students with the amazing message of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, people. Thank you very much for engaging. And uh, hang around if you want to chat.